0: This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Heretic Happy Hour, whose tagline is burning questions, not people. Join hosts Shonda DeJaw, December Rose, Dr. Reverend Katie Valentine, Keith Giles, and myself, Matthew J. DiStefano, for a happy hour filled with quality conversation, fine fellowship, and perhaps even a laugh or two. Unapologetically irreverent and crass, yet sometimes profound, We make sure to pull no punches and leave no stones unturned as we discuss the Christian faith. But listener, beware. There will assuredly be some serious sacred cow tipping. If that sounds like your cup of tea, or bourbon if that's your thing, head on over to heretichhappyhour.com to stay up to date with us and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast fix.
1: Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God.
0: This is not church with John and Nat Turney. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to the podcast. This is not church. My name is Nat Turney. I'm one of your hosts. With me, as always, is my big hermano, John. Say, hola, John. Hola, John. I, I can I can pull the bilingual stuff, man. Right, el hermano mayor, John. <laughs> he's uh, nestled <laughs> up in the uh, the cozy mountains of Northern California, and I'm sweltering in West Texas. It's 105 today, John. You believe that crap?
1: five uh, It's maybe in the 40s here, and it's overcast yeah. and foggy as hell. You can shut your mouth now. I'm dying. I'm dying, John.
0: But here, <laughs> this is summer in Texas, man. It starts early and it goes late. But here we are. Uh, we have an awesome guest with us today, and we, uh, man, we just want to jump right into this conversation. But I want to welcome to the podcast Anthony Bartlett. Uh, let me read you a little bit about him from his Amazon bio. And again, if this is uh, incorrect, it's it's a uh, it's uh, it's on him, really. It's not my fault. Uh, we just <laughs> we just. I'm just kidding. I'm um, I'm just joking with him. But here we go. Here's a little bit about Anthony. Uh, so Anthony Bartlett read philosophy and theology at Heythrop. Oh my gosh! I'm gonna Athenium in Oxfordshire, England. Did I say that even remotely? Heythrop Athenium he got both wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we're off to a great start <laughs> and at london i said that correctly right london, <laughs> again, at, at london university following his ordination to the roman catholic priesthood he spent a year studying in rome after 10 years of ministry he resigned the official priesthood in this period of transition he lived in a community of prayer near assisi in italy under the guidance of writer and teacher carlo carnetto
2: Carletto.
0: oh i see that, that's, this is right off the page, though. This is Carlo Carreto. That's right, yeah. Okay, I thought so. Okay. So the experience, <laughs> here we go, uh, around <laughs> Carreto welcomed many different individuals at the crossroads of traditional Catholicism and the search for, pre- for fresh perspective and spiritual practice. It was natural that news of a major recent book by René Girard and his extraordinary cross-disciplinary understanding of Christianity should arrive among members of this group. The seed of information planted then eventually matured into contact between Tony and James Williams, professor of the Hebrew Bible in the Syracuse University Department of Religion and a prominent Girardian scholar. With Williams' support and encouragement, Tony was accepted for doctoral studies in the department, emigrating to the U.S. with his family and gaining his degree in 1999, as well as being a founding member of Wood Has Hope. He is the author of numerous articles and books including Virtually Christian, How Christ Changes Human Meaning and Makes Creation New, and a new book called Signs of Change, which we're actually really here to talk about today. Welcome to the podcast.
2: How are you, sir? Very well. Thank you very much for the introduction. I did my very best to stumble my way through it and well, I kind to script you up there a little bit, I'm sorry. No, but, that's all right. It's all right. Yeah. We were talking about Satan before at the beginning, so that's the Satan. <laughs> <laughs> right, so so Satan, Satan's always trying to trip us up, so great, yeah. you up, were
0: you ever were you ever kind of an evangelical guy? It sounds to me like you sort of grew up in, in the Roman Catholic tradition, more more or less. I grew
2: up, yeah, that's a good question. I grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition, but for some reason or other, um, you know, in, in my kind of heart, I, I suppose I was always evangelical in a way, you know, I always felt like kind of direct connection to Jesus uh, somehow or other. And so as a result, I did struggle with the the kind of uh, the layers of the church under which Jesus can easily be buried. Yeah, <laughs> um, for sure. So uh, uh, yeah, I would say that I, I probably was and am an evangelical, but uh, of a certain kind, should we say. But then uh, I suppose all evangelicals are of a certain kind. Sure, sure. I know
0: we've yeah. talked, at like John and I, over the, over the- I don't know. I, I guess I could say years now, but we've talked about the term evangelical and whether or not it's rescuable from, yeah. from the lexicon, you know, as, 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 it, as it becomes more and more um, tied to us, usually to a very, almost more to a political ideology right, yeah. than to a religious one. I find myself, as I often do, stubbornly digging my heels in and saying,
2: no, yeah. in the truest sense of the word, I am evangelical. Yeah. yeah. I, I sympathize with that. And, and because I didn't kind of grow up, in an evangelical church, I don't really have some of that baggage there. I don't, don't feel resentful in any way against against the term, and I kind of like it. You know, I kind of because it means of the gospel. So, yeah, that's the way I feel about it
0: too. But I also know that it, here in the U.S. in particular, that term does carry a ton of baggage with it. Right, um, it does tend to. And 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 for me as well, I mean, when it's been used for thirty years as, to describe a voting block. Mm. More than any anything really to do with the church at all, you know. You talk about politicians trying to court an evangelical vote, mm-hmm. and it's always, you know, a certain particular, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, almost always leaning towards a more conservative understanding of everything, right? More fundamentalist, um, and I'm certainly none of those things. So, but I, I think I've skipped over our, our initial question that we tend to ask people. So we sort of try to slip in there a little bit with your with your faith background, but uh, beyond just being raised sort of in within Roman Catholicism. What else can you tell us about that journey for you?
2: Well, I went, I joined the Vitiate, uh, which is the name for the year of training uh, for religious order, when I was 17 years old. So I was pretty young and kind of very uh, moldable, as the whole purpose of that is. You know, you take people, I mean, I, I think Ignatius, the founder of the Jesuits, said, you know, Get, give me a child, I'll give you the man kind of thing. And that's right. what happened to me. And so I started off when I was 17. But right at the time when I joined, um, Something called the Second Vatican Council was just was was at its height and was was coming to an end as well. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but it, it was it was a major watershed in the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, um, it was a huge thing from which, in a in a way, Roman Catholic Church has not really recovered or or straightened itself out from, if that if that's ever possible. But it. It changed everything overnight almost. And so I kind of joined something with a fairly conservative background uh, and mentality. And then everything was up for grabs. I mean, literally, it was a revolution. It was a a, a, a religious and social revolution within the framework of the Roman Catholic Church, and especially within the religious orders of men, male and female at that time. And so there was a lot of turmoil. (laughs) Yeah. A of it matter turmoil really was i mean during the time i was i was um training and uh, one of my first years as a, as a priest i have I, seen the statistic that 120,000 men left the priesthood so there was a huge lot out of something like say 300 or 400,000 worldwide you know it lost a quarter of its kind of officer officer class kind of thing and and there was so much upheaval at that time so really i kind of had to begin figuring things out for myself and, that, and that's really the, the nature of the case. That I began a long, slow journey to try to understand what I, what was meaning for me for me in in the person and the gospel of of Jesus.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting because we just like we mentioned offline, we had just had a, a really great conversation with with John Dominic Crossan, and he left his religious order right around the same time, yeah. and he cited that same. Uh some some of those same issues with that encyclopedia that came out and he had found himself at odds with the yeah. Pope. Which yeah. for him wasn't a problem. He said hey, he didn't from his point of view, you know, the Pope was a man. He he was entitled to disagree with him. He said he's got it wrong, he's wrong. Um and he how did he put a job? Uh, he got sideways with a cardinal, I guess it was. He goes, yeah. you know, yeah. sort of like this happened, this happened, and I was at at the end of it all, I was an ex-priest and he was still the cardinal and he was still yeah. the pope. <laughs> so <laughs> well, that's <laughs> that's, that was the way it goes he said he applied for i, I forget the term for but to be dismissed from his order and they yeah. pretty rapidly agreed that it was yeah. time but i also thought i could have swore i heard also or read that Bre- brendan manning left his order around that same time yeah. with some of those same issues being cited as problems so seems like you were in pretty good company
2: yeah um, i mean the, the I was certainly in in risky company. I mean, yeah, I, all, all, sorts, all sorts of crazy things. I was not just intellectual. I mean, people were—I um, don't know—like the, the thing certainly went off the rails for a while. I mean, if if you were running an army or any kind of business, uh, and you, you, you would you would probably have kind of come to a full stop at that time. It really—it was, was a crazy period. And then, of course, John Paul II. You, know, you kind of remember him as a friend of. Uh, Robert, uh, Ronald Reagan, and and you know, the kind of swing against the um, the uh, the Soviet Union, uh, with Poland's kind of liberation and all that kind of thing. That's when it he, things started to get back on track again. So it was really between um, 65, 64, 65, and 1980 that, that that period of great turmoil was the case. But that was the time I was both training and, and the priest. So but I, I mean, I'm thankful for it because um, I think probably if all that hadn't happened, I would be a much less pleasant person than I, than I am, you
0: know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's yeah. always what we're shooting for, right? Just to be, you know, better human beings all around sometimes. That's, that's uh, right. Sometimes that means we have to shed some of that religiosity to get there. Yeah, So right. uh, I'm going to let John here jump in a minute, but I had a question before I, I didn't want to forget. So before we jump into the book, which sounds like it has some some... The obvious Girardian themes. Um, right. What was your first exposure to Rene Girard? Was it, well, I'll just let you say it in your own words. What was, how did that come about?
2: It was kind of like in that introduction uh, that you read from Amazon. But uh, wh- when I finally took the decision to leave the uh, priesthood and the religious order I was in, my superiors, I mean, that's the term we use for for those who are in charge of the, of the of the organization, said, well, you just can't leave. Uh, You have to, you have to spend the time of discernment. Now, I was really annoyed by that, but actually it was a very, very beneficial time for me. So I went away to Italy, um, and I spent that time with Carlo Corretto. And he, he was a a wonderful guy. And, you know, he, he told me a lot. And, and he, he comes from the contemplative, contemplative tradition very much. And he spent 12 years in the North African desert and he had a very rich soul. So I, I learned a lot from that. But anyway, when I, 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 um, I finished that year, I came home, I came back to England, and a a friend that I had made in that time, he visited me in England pretty soon afterwards, a a friend who was in the community, his name is Franco, he visited me fairly soon afterwards, and he brought me this book. It was uh, Things Hidden Since the Foundation of the World, but in French. They show cachet sort of thing, and he says, you've got to read this. So, I I mean, I didn't read it right away, but after some, well, actually four or five years elapsed because I was actually working hard on another project, but then I began to read it, struggle through it in French, and it just blew me away. It really did. It was basically at the end of the, of the 80s that that I really encountered Gerard. So, that's pretty early for a lot of people. I mean, that, I've, oh, been, yeah. I've, I've known Gerard for a long time, and I met him for the first time after doing the university... Uh, Syracuse, and I went on various conferences, so I met him in 94, and then afterwards, and uh, he was an inspiring man, an uh, inspiring intellectual. A, yeah. a, a great, you know, uh, a premier intellectual, no doubt about it, a great thinker.
0: Yeah. One thing that I don't think, if, if you're not familiar, uh, listeners, if you're not familiar, Gerard is dense. He's, he's deep. There's a lot of, I mean, it, it's hard to give a Cliff Notes version of yeah. memetic theory, yeah. but we've talked about it with a few people on the show once in a while because it just it fascinates me. I see it as a very, very useful tool, um, as far as understanding, especially understanding the origins of violence, uh, in our species. And, you know, some of the, some of the ways in which we've sacralized violence and turned it into something, you know, in some ways, very, very positive, right? We've looked at it this, like, like so if it's not positive, something that has to happen as far as human evolution goes. And I think Girard would say not necessarily, but.
2: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm obviously biased, but I would say that Gerard is the Plato. Of the 21st century, yeah. know, he, he has that standing that Plato really influenced every, every as they say philosophy is a footnote Plato Plato, but I think Gerard has changed the nature of the conversation enormously. Yeah, also I think it's interesting too because I, I find this to, I find this with scholars very often
0: that sometimes how they end up in their specific field of study is 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 sort of roundabout way. So Gerard didn't start out as a theologian, although he was raised in a in a religious household somewhat. But he was a literature professor, right? Yeah, so that's right. He starts and he starts yeah. noticing
2: these patterns, right? Actually, history. He started off in history, right? History in contemporary French history, uh, and then he then he then he got a job teaching literature, and he had he never done literature before, so he really? just read the books before the semester began. <laughs>
0: I just love that that uh, the idea of literary criticism was, and C.S. Lewis had a similar sort of upbringing, right? So he could, you know, you start looking at, uh, at literature and you start to notice. And I know for Gerard, anyway, was starts to notice these patterns right. of, of, of mimesis that he calls it. And he starts to just notice these, always these, these conflicts. There's always, there's always desire. There's always anyway. So out of that, he, he comes up with the, with mimetic theory. Right. And again, it's, it's complicated somewhat. It's, you know, although, once it's explained well, and I have not done a good job, by the way, of doing that. Um, once it's explained well, it's one of those things you can't unsee though, right? If you've ever seen two kids in a room play over one toy, you've seen Biomedic Theory in action, right? That um, is it. That's so it. There's one thing, I don't really want it, but as soon as somebody else wants it, well, now I want it. Yeah. And- when I
2: started reading Gerard, I told you that I, I didn't start reading immediately, but I, uh, by that time, I, I got married and I had a couple of kids, and I, I was at home actually looking out because my wife was doing nurse training, and uh, so I, I had one day a week when I was off, uh, and, and I, we had a babysitter at that time. and I would watch uh, I would listen to and then watch my daughter and her friend, who was the daughter of the babysitter, out in the yard. And I was reading about my nieces, and I could say i could see what happened was that my daughter whose was named Susanna, she was start playing in a little car, little little pedal car. And her friend said, I want to play in that. I want that car. I want that car. So Susie is my daughter. And, uh, you know, being a good Christian, she says, uh, okay, you can have the car. So then she starts playing on the bicycle, the little little trike. And um, and then the friend says, no, I want the bicycle. I want that. So then Susie has to give that up. And then there's something else. There's a scooter or something. and And, and literally that's what happened. And until eventually Susie ended up. With the car that she'd left in the first place, because everything she touched became desirable and, and the thing that the other one wanted because she touched it, and because she was using it, you know? Right. And, well, and it could flow the other way as well. Well, there's that,
0: there's that, there's that cycle that begins to, to, to happen, right? Where because somebody wants it, now my desire for that thing is validated which makes me want it more, right? And so it escalates. And so we see this on, obviously, this is a very micro level we're looking at, but on a macro level, we see this happen within culture and society where eventually you come to, uh, things come to a head, right? Absolutely. And you, either have, you either have violence outbreak, outright, yeah. or you have something that comes along as a, perhaps a, a valve, like an escape valve. And so we, we look at the, the, the scapegoat mechanism right? that comes in and says, okay, well, if we just, Focus all of our attention on this one bad actor. We can at least for a time, right? Yeah. And it's well, always. A, it's it, always a, right, go ahead.
2: About Hitler, that you know he had two wars. One was against the rest of the world, basically, and the other was against the Jews. So right, the Jews right. were the scapegoat, and the war was the kind of like the the escalation, the explosion of violence. But he had both things going, and they say, well, he, he kind of almost won the. the, the he lost the. the the world war, but he almost won the war against the Jews, you know, in in that way of the, what he set out to do, you know, the, the massive slaughter. So we, we've had that played out for us, that mechanism you, which you just described and, and, you know, arising from something as, as simple as I want the thing that, that my friend is playing with, <laughs> and there's only one of it. And so we, we have, we're going to fight over it arising from that basic mechanism. You get something as as catastrophic as uh, the Second World War and the the Holocaust. So it's it's a huge uh, um, mechanism which, which Gerard is able to enable to understand. Well then, just so we play this out. Now we won't
0: spend our whole time talking about about Gerard. I just find it I just it, to me it's still fascinating. But what I remember somebody it might have been Gerard said it, it might have been someone speaking about Gerard. But essentially, what we have in Jesus then is right. we have a failed scapegoat. Yes, absolutely. because scapegoats are supposed to stay dead. Yes. <laughs> and um so in the resurrection and also in this this idea that we now have a model that is actually worthy of being em, emulated in Christ, we have this at least the possibility, right? The potential for the cycle to be broken. What's your what's your take on that? Is that
2: That's absolutely right. And the only thing that I've added, Gerard kinda of his his major argument was that the the biblical uh <laughs> literature all the way from Genesis through, uh, revealed the scapegoat. So it was a kind of revelatory thing, but you, little by little you see these figures like Abel, you see Joseph, you see Job, and then, and then, and the suffering servant, and then you see Jesus. It's a revelation of the victim. But I say, well, I mean, I added, uh, I think it was implied in Gerard, but it wasn't very, it wasn't really kind of, Worked out fully, but I, it's really, really critical, especially when you get to Jesus, that the response is nonviolent. That Jesus Himself not only was the victim, but He was a non-violent victim. He did not retaliate. He did not respond in kind, because you couldn't. You really couldn't have revelation if the moment Jesus kind of lost his lost it and said, "Okay, I'm really, really I'm really upset with you guys. I'm going to come with an army next time." You know, then there's no revelation. There's there's nothing. He's just another. Liberator, a messianic figure, et cetera, et cetera, but he's using the same mechanism as everybody else. So there's something deeply different about him. That was what uh, what, what Dom
0: Crossan pointed out to us, because he's written this book called um, Render unto Caesar. Yeah. He's d- and he's dived deeply into Revelation, the book of yeah. Revelation, oh, right um, right, right. Yeah. because for him, um, that is the antithesis of the gospel message what we find in in revelation is is exactly what you just described is Jesus right. coming back and now he's like every other emperor he's like yeah. every other conquering king this yeah. time he's coming back with a sword um and so for well, him yeah, it's, it's, reading, it's I mean
2: I wouldn't I mean we don't, don't want to get go go down that rabbit hole but I, I I'd say that's that's a certain reading of revelation oh, right right No, and he he was
0: he was clear about that it's if you, if you read that um very literally you know yeah, but, Exactly um, right it's very interesting to me that that that's how that's usually what is used.
2: That's where you find some of this justification for violence as it oh, comes. Absolutely. You know, but they more you know, the last two chapters, the last two and a half chapters, where uh, everybody is invited into the city, uh, the, the gates are open day and night. Uh, the kings come in, bring their glory in, uh, and and the nations are healed there. Uh, right. they, uh, and so there's there's kind of like two. It's um it's it's uh, prismatic, you know. There's you look at the same thing from different angles, and it, it, on the one hand it looks fine, but on the other hand it, it's not. And, and I think that's the final message of Revelation: is if one nonviolence, the, the, the Lamb who is slain uh, is, or who, who actually is, stands there, stands as one who is slain, uh, is always a revelation of non non retaliation. Yeah, for sure. But that's very disturbing to the world. That, I mean, I think that's the point. It's very, very disruptive. Well, it's,
0: it's disruptive in the fact that, that we don't, we, we just don't like it. Right. I mean, right. I, and, I, and I know a lot of people, you know, bristle at the idea somehow of a non-retributive God of, of, a you know, because still in the back of their minds, and I wrestle with this as a pastor all the time, because what, what I preach all the time is that God is non-retributive. Right. Um, that there is no hell of a eternal tem- conscious torment waiting just to, you know, simply just to punish people for being bad or for missing the point, because That's just not how God does business. I don't believe he's retributive in nature. I believe he's restorative. Right. So, But there is still this sense of justice in our minds that we can't wrap our heads around a justice that does not look like punitive justice. Right. Right? I need a justice where the bad guy gets what's coming to him and the good guy gets rewarded. Um, And it does. Yeah, you're right. It's very disruptive to... To our sense of right and wrong and, and, right. and whatever sense of justice, aka vengeance, it seems like that we have. But
1: uh, as you're talking about, you know, justice, right, and uh, punitive justice, which is so American or so Western, uh, this idea that the only way we can get justice is through violence. And it seems that in doing this, we had to change the MO of Jesus. So for us to continue to move forward with this violent form of justice, this violent form of revenge, you know the John Wayne esque look of how we treat people who do us wrong, we had to change this idea of what Jesus was going to do when he came back. And I think you know within Gerard and within mimetic theory, that's that's super easy to show that you know we just go eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and. Right. Regardless of what that really meant, we're just gonna go off on this tangent. And then you end up with like what just happened recently, you know, what just happened the last couple of days of this shooting, right? And right. This, uh, and this idea that there is some group of people who are going to undermine our ability to be who we are. And we play this martyr syndrome of uh, if I can't, if I can't be me then you can't be you and i'm going to you know god damn it i'm going to i'm going to come around and i'm going to kill you all and uh, but what what is confusing to me is specifically within the conservative party uh, this this inability to see the danger the long-term danger in what what is happening here i mean you're absolutely right that they we 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 we've uh,
2: transfigured and disfigured christ jesus over over the centuries, back into a violent mold, um, and it and it kind of testifies. I mean, there's a, there's, there's a there's a, a a bad side to it, and then there's a good side. And the bad side is how can we have missed the point for so long, and the good side is that we are actually seeing the point now. And and the reason why we didn't see it for so long is because violence is so structuring. It's so it's so generative. It it makes the world work, but now. Uh, like you know, just what you said there, it's so uh, it's more and more exposed for being a failed, a dead end. You know, like it's always going to be cyclical, and there's always, always going to be another. You're going to have to find another bad guy or bad group to destroy, and and there's no no end to it. Well, let's 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 dive in then from from that from all
0: of that background. Um, signs of change, right? Or yeah. uh, the book that is now it's, it's now available, right? It is out on it. It is out, is out yeah. for sale. Yeah. Discusses some of this as well. But if you wouldn't mind, give us the give us a, an idea of what what that book deals with.
2: Well, thank you. I really appreciate the the opportunity to do that, and um, I'm, I'm I'm current, um, I'm privileged to be on your podcast and to have a chance to talk about Signs of Change, because the the book is is kind of like a, should I should I say the dearest to me. I mean, I haven't written a huge number. I've written four or five or something like that, plus a novel, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, not, I'm not half as productive as others, but getting to this point uh, of signs of change is a, um, a kind of end of the arc for me, you know, because the other, other books, so I wrote a book called Cross Purposes, and that came out of my uh, research for my PhD uh, at Syracuse University, and it, it actually does the deconstruction. On the theory of um, what became uh, substitutionary atonement in uh, the the Reformation and before that was satisfaction atonement uh, through Anselm, Um, and um, I kind of really went to town, and I always wanted to do that to try to undermine that, but then I hadn't put anything really positive in its place, Uh, and so there's been an arc of development since then, and I've uh, I've come to this. Step by step to this understanding, it was always there in a kind of germ, but is that, um, the, the business of God, the business of the God of revelation as Christians understand that God to be, um, the father, mother of Jesus, um, the business of that God is to change the way human beings are. Um, and, uh, it's not to get us to heaven as such. <laughs> It's, it's to transform the living space of human beings into heaven, into that, uh, seamless relationship of love, which is w- what we see, uh, figured in the Trinity. Um, uh, that's the wonderful image of, 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 uh, persons in, in perfect communion with each other. Um, so the business of God is to change that. So the question then is, how do you do that? How do you break in to the human system? With something that is so radically different. So we talk about the saints, and these are exceptional individuals. Yeah, we got—I mean, like especially in the Catholic um, tradition. Uh, although I do believe there's sort of evangelical saints. So uh, but, you know, people pe- people have really done this thing. You know, and they've gone they've gone the whole nine yards kind of thing. But uh, that, that you're going to actually change humanity as such—the way human beings do business. Uh, you know, that's 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 foolish. That's um, that's uh, utopian, but the idea, but it, the any other idea of God doesn't really make sense because if you think about it, if God is uh, not communicating to us another way of being, then God is just a kind of amped up version of ourselves. You right. know, if he's if he's just bigger and larger <laughs> and more powerful, then I got no real reason to respect him. You know, I mean, like. That's, that's the way that's, I could do that. <laughs> if you gave me the same armory as you got, I could, I could be God. And of course, human beings do. But if, the, if God, if God break is breaking in with a completely different way of, of relating, which is of this infinite self-giving, infinite compassion, infinite undoing of violence, then of course, yes. I mean, that, then you say, well, yes, only God could do that. Only, only a revelatory spirit. That could show us that um, uh, is worthy of the name and, and and the worship of God. You know, and nothing else uh, takes my heart away from myself and says, you know, you could be, you can truly be different. And um, and of course, then we say that Jesus is the figure, is is the one who revealed that. But then you still have to have the mechanism by how that happens, because if I say to you, so this is this is this is the argument that develops. So if I say to you, well, you have to be different. You have to be non-violent. You have to be non-retributive. And you can set that up as a kind of ideal. It's still something that I have to conform to externally. And I can be better at it than you. <laughs> I can be, I can be more righteous at being non-violent than you, you know? And that can and then of course it becomes an object of desire and and then we're in conflict, and that obviously can happen um, among Christians all the time, you know, like a, a competition in virtue, and it's very much the case of our, you know, they call it virtue signaling, that we we're always trying to be better somehow or other as regards uh, the victim in our culture. But anyhow, the point that what I came, what what I worked at was that God or the Bible, should we say? Um, as that kind of tool that is there in front of us. I mean, like a, a Bible, got one right here, this, this big book, you know, this, this book, it's, it's, it's just an it's, it's immense set of um, language, linguistic signs, and stories and figures that all grip our imagination. And uh, w- what is happening in it is that Little by little, God is changing the signals by which we know what is, what is happening in the world and what is good in the world. Because if we start off with, say, with, with, say, human beings at the time of the Exodus, I mean, that's, this is what I start off with in signs of change. I start off with the Exodus that, that if, if God was going to begin a process of transformation in humanity, whereby we are translated, into something very different, then it has to begin with a kind of liberation. And it's very difficult to conceive how that liberation is not going to work at some level, uh, except through violence. So there is the killing of the firstborn. There's the crossing of the Red Sea. There's the invasion of Canaan, however that went. I mean, the way it's recorded in the Bible is lots and lots of violence. Um, and so it, it, it sets everybody off on that track. That uh, you know, oh yeah, God's going God's God, God God's got God's plan and it's going to come about by major killing. <laughs> uh, but it's 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 only the first step, and then little by little, as I explain in Science of Change, little by little questions. So if I want to really set you free from, shall we say, unrighteousness, whatever that, from not being right, then I have to work at it. Uh, I have to I have to show you little by little uh, the way and wh- what that really means. Because if it's external, if it's enforced by law, if it's enforced by violence, then there's no real change that's going to occur. So little by little, over the story of the, the biblical story, and this is what it, that's what constitutes the chapters of the book. You know, the different chapters on uh, Exodus, Genesis, uh, Job, Deuteronomy. Um, Isaiah, um, all, all the way through to Jesus and Paul, what I'm showing is that little by little it becomes evident that to set human free, uh, human beings free from their disastrous way of being, you have to reveal nonviolence. You have to reveal nonviolence as a way of being, and the first steps of that happen really at the ex- in the time of the exile. In the sixth century or the end of the, the seventh century, little by little it becomes, especially in the exile itself, with the figure of the suffering servant, or, or the non violent servant as as I, I term it, we begins to see that it's actually by non retaliation, by not replying in kind with what is being done to you by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, by the whoever it is, the latest big bad. Boy on the block, kind of thing. The one who's got the the most muscles, not replying in kind. That suddenly there's this. Who would have thought the arm of the Lord would be revealed in this way? You know, this says night. Who would have thought it? And certainly this is breakthrough. We begin to see that this, by my, my servant suffering, many are made righteous. That this is a transformation. So, it, and it's not a compensatory the way. I read it. And I say this is the suffering service is not compensatory to God's offended honor or or wrath, which is what we got from the Middle Ages, and it's a really wrong track. Um, what we get is a revelation of another way of being. And then when Jesus comes, we're basically um, five, six centuries later, he stole all the way through to the bottom of that, you know, and he said, I'm gonna I'm gonna run with this, this is what I'm going to do. And there were other, other signals in there, especially from the book of Daniel with the Son of Man, that kind of thing. So there's this, um, what I call a semiotic pathway, a series of signals and signs and uh, kind of uh, meaningful figures and hints that push you along the road until you get to the revelatory and transformative figure of Jesus. And then we um, have this, this amazing thing that his story is turned around in the resurrection. And then there's this pouring out of, of a sense of what all that means, what we, it's what we call the Holy Spirit, um, that suddenly other people can get it. They can get this thing. And they, for, they first of all term it. The first name they give it is I'm forgiven. I'm, for, I'm forgiven for my sin. You know, that, that, that Jesus died for me, Christ died for me, for for um, in order that I may be forgiven. Um, uh, Righteous before God, in other words, forgiven. But that that also implies non-retaliation. God is forgiving. God does not retaliate God is not holding our faults against us, our sins against us, but is re- trying to reconcile us to God self. Then that implies immediately that the uh, response of the, of the Christian is also non-retaliatory, non-punitive, non-retributive. And of course, that basically is the history of Christianity for the first three centuries. I mean. You know, that's that, that's what happened. They did not revolt. They did not try to um, arm themselves against Caesar. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a marvelous record. So it that broke into the world, and it's always been there, but it got defigured, transfigured and defigured over, over the centuries. But now because we're in this time of um, kind of world war, really, I mean, we're almost like in a perpetual world war. We're preparing for it, and we've got the mechanisms for it. Uh, that this deal the, the, the deeper message of Jesus, I think, has found its its time its moment. Uh, they, they, all these things, you know, the 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 spirit will reveal to you. So I I think this is a a, uh, a very important moment, a revelatory moment for us. And the, the science of change uh, takes you through step by step by step uh, over that process of um, transformation. And the book before it, just to add on, I, I'm going to stop. Just to, just to add on the book for it the theology beyond metaphysics sets the table really in terms of the, the um, what you might call the science of semiotics it, it tries to show that there has been a thought of the way in which human beings communicate through science what that means and how that is, has arisen basically in the Christian era and become has become more and more um, prominent um over the last two centuries so it's like beforehand we, we all we talked in terms of these eternal truths um and there's still kind of a role for that in a way but you know like heaven hell god the devil all that stuff these these big motifs and they're all up there they're all kind of like standing on top of us uh controlling and we try to control the universe with them and in fact what is what what the nature of the bible is is this this, um, progression of, of stories and figures of signs and signals that change, change our mindset, change, actually change the, the neural configuration. I think it gets down to neurobiology at the end, but that's, that's taking us a little bit far, but anyway, it it is actually changes the way in which we are as flesh and blood human beings. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's,
0: there's there's a lot in there. Um, what what I've what I've come to understand for me is that that for me there's a trajectory to the biblical narrative, right? Right. Um, and that's the, that's the one thing that I see if we're if 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 uh, if you're coming out of or beginning to maybe turn away from a more fundamentalist or literalist approach to scripture. Yeah, one yeah. of the things that you abandon first of all is this sort of flat narrative, right? Where Right. We just, and we have this tendency to do this a lot where we just flatten the text out, you know, every, every sort of part of this bears equal weight and, um, and it just can't be right. Um, for me, a richer understanding has come as I've seen this trajectory, um, that culminates right in the person of Jesus. And, you know, and I have, when I have conversations with people about, you know, since I do reject some of the more mainstream evangelical motifs of heaven and hell and, and you know, penal substitution and all this kind of stuff. It's like, well, then what was the point of Jesus? Well, I, well, gosh, I hope there was more to it than just, you know, saving you from some imaginary torture chamber. How about Jesus comes to show us what it means to be fully human? You know, a completely new way to be human that shows us we could be. And I, and I love, you know, I love the idea of, of Jesus as nonviolent, um, but I'm leaning more into, um, a notion of him as being nonviolently resistant. Um, because so, and the only reason I make that distinction is, is because I don't want to draw a picture of Jesus as passive. No, um, no. I don't see his nonviolence as passivity oh, no. at all. It is no. a, it is a way of disrupting the cycles of violence with your own nonviolence. Right. Um, and we see this for, and I, I can't wait to talk to. To some others about this, but you see this—at least for me—I see it most clearly in, in the civil rights movement here in the United States, where where you saw people literally put their lives and their bodies on the line in an effort to not to not be retributive, and to not you know play into the narratives that, that were that were spoken about them. And all of a sudden, in a, in a really radical way, you saw some change happen. And I really see Jesus as being that kind of figure. Would you would you agree also? that the first two or three centuries of the church might have been its most effective time period. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is when, you know, it seems like they took over the world in a few short years with, you know, with a bunch of, rab- you know, illiterate sort of <laughs> you
2: know, peasantry. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they were, it was explosive. I mean, like the growth the, the, the of the movement was explosive. They say by the end of the third century, it was 10% of society. I mean, it doesn't sound a lot, but actually... In terms of the integrity of the movement and the and the levels of society it reached to, it was the most consistent, coherent group <laughs> right. in in the early in, the, in those centuries. And no wonder Emperor Constantine said, "I need somebody. I need some political movement. I need some political outfit that is that is going to take me to the next level." Oh. Christian right. can do that. <laughs> so these guys, but that nonviolent stuff's going to have to go. Oh, right. <laughs> you got rid of that pretty damn quick. Sorry, <laughs> damn quick? yeah, for sure. yeah. So I was yeah.
1: gonna. That's what I was gonna bring up. Is so you know, thanks to Constantine, right? We have a, a, a completely different trajectory. And then you fast forward to now. Yeah. And how do you, how do you even combat this? This idea that, okay, so we're always talking about empire, right? So the Bible is showing us time and time again that empires will come and they will try to destroy us. And then, so Jesus is trying to show us this new way, this nonviolent resistance. And then how do you, how do you wrap your head around a nation like the United States that is the empire? It's not the New Jerusalem. It is the empire in this in this scenario, but at the same time, professing that it's a Christian nation. So they're using Jesus as their their launching pad towards their what they think is their greatness. And so it's the weirdest thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How could one thing get transformed into its opposite? You know, like I mean, even in the Roman Empire. Uh, in Roman society, I mean, you, you there was nothing. They, you had the gods, but they were all equally stupid, really. I mean, like, <laughs> so you really couldn't get hold of one god, and, and you know, and ride with that god to the, you know, to the. But Christianity is so—it's so, as I say, it has its coherence to it. So if you, if you, and and strength to it, and, and so if you want to, you want to create a new empire, and Constantine began it, and 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 I'm really, North America has perfected it. Um, so you, there's, there's, they've taken this thing and I mean, the biblical word for it is the antichrist and the, uh, and they've, they've changed it into its opposite. So, um, but the thing is, I think America is, 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 um, I mean, I, we emigrated to America in 1993, you know, we are, we're naturalized Americans, myself, my wife, my children, we made a choice to come to this, to this country. And I think it's a, it's an experiment in process, uh, that, that. Be- precisely because of the grotesqueness of the way in which Christianity has been um, de- defigured, disfigured here, that uh, the work is at hand. I mean, that's why that's what we're engaged in. We're engaged in this, con- this long argument about the nature of Christianity, that, that it, and that it has been transfigured and disfigured since the well, basically the eleventh century, and we and, and we and we've 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 we've. And increased that and, and multiplied the layers, the the, the hardened um, the surface of that, so that it seems so right and but it actually it enshrines incredible violence. It actually has amped up the violence of the world um, because God God has rather than God uh, transforming our human situation, God exacted the death of His beloved Son. You know the the the, the one who was most precious to Him. That's the by 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 by, submit, by subjecting him to this this awful death that's the only way in which god is going to be happy <laughs> and so in other words you you've you've made this you've created this monster uh but but there's a logic to that so what we're do, what we're engaged to in doing is is as you say deconstructing that logic in order that this other logic of of um transformative love and um compassion for the other may come through so I think we're we're at a pivotal time, and um, the very fact that there are guys like you, and you're not, you know you're obviously not the only ones, there's many people kind of working at this at this level, trying to try and tra- change the conversation, and it, and it will it will happen. That's my belief, anyway. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that's that's one
0: of the things that I see. You know, again, not to overuse the word trajectory, but here we are. <laughs> well, I'll use it again, but that is that does seem to be the current trajectory is the people who are and again there's always gonna be those who are who are super comfortable with the status quo. Um it's working for them, it's 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 you know, it's providing them a living or whatever it is, but but there are more and more people for whom that narrative no longer seems to make sense. It's not working anymore. And they're seeking out better answers. I think,
2: right? Absolutely. And and this is
0: probably the story of Christianity over the centuries. Mm -hmm. I mean, this has happened more than once, and so we're we're not doing anything new. Uh, It's one of those things when when uh, when John and I talk to folks, you know, we talk about deconstruction in general, and and again, it's it's that's another term that has begun to be a little overused. But there is this sense from those who are entrenched in power that we're doing something novel, like you know, because we're a threat. You know, I'm like, this is nothing new. I mean, gosh, you're. As a Protestant, you know, my entire existence is based upon somebody having found fault with the with the status quo and saying, no, let's do something different. Let's get back to whatever we perceive of as the roots of of this faith. Absolutely. Um, And then pushing against those things that we feel have corrupted it. Or at least have the potential to corrupt it. And so that's that's what I that's what I am focused mostly on. I know that's what John looks at quite a bit. There is but there is a movement, and I hope it's one that doesn't doesn't see itself as as finding some place to end. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is an evolutionary process. I don't
2: see there being an end to it. No, the advantage of, of, of people like you and I'd say me as well is that there's no big institution. <laughs> there's no <Right>. big organization. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which we, any of us can have control of. You know, it's, 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 um, it is a, a process of transformation and we are, we are agents of it wherever we are. And, and wow. I don't see how you really could control it. I don't see how you could get hold of this.
0: this no, other, and, and, you know, it, you spend enough time talking to people and you see that people are at various stages anyway. you know, yeah. there's, no, there's not some monolithic deconstruction movement. Yeah, right. There are people who are entering this at every conceivable level and some are, you know, some, some are happy to question, you know, a handful of things and superficial things and some really want to rip the whole thing apart and start over again. And that's, I, I think all of those are, are great. You know what I mean? I, I, I see that as a very personal in some ways, very personal approach, you know. I, but John's John's experience with this is a little different. You know, he's, you know, had his issues with the church and left and come back and left and, you know. <laughs> he's gone for good this time,
1: but. Well, um, I, I, I mean, the only thing I would say and, and what I think that the modern evangelical fundamentalist church has seemed to forget is that the religion that they are connected to is born out of revolution. This is born out of calling out status quo. I mean, Jesus was a revolutionary. And what it seems to me is that as we are calling for another revolution is basically what's happening right now. It's like, hey, things, things have gotten a little out of hand. Things have gotten a little uh, off the rails. And we are, for all intents and purposes, we are scaring the hell out of these, you know, very entrenched pastors Leaders who have found that holding their, their congregation in some kind of status quo in in a fear based religion is at, is, is in danger of losing ground. I mean, we see this, right? That Christians are leaving the faith faster now than they have ever. And it's not that they are losing a connection to say, a, a figure of Jesus, but they're losing a connection to these people who are telling them that they have the better answer for them. And these people are starting to like, Actually, like ask some hard questions, and that's scaring the crap out of these leaders, right? yeah, I mean, the more power the the, the
2: right-wing fundamentalist Christians have, the more they're heading towards kind of self-destruction, you know in as much as that when, when you climb that ladder of power like they have, you know like they've got, I mean I don't want to get too political here, but but they've got control of the the Supreme Court, that kind of thing. The more you're, uh, dealing in terms of the world and, and force and law and violence of it ultimately, and you're not showing anything new. In fact, you're showing the reverse. You know, you're, you're, you're just establishing yourself as, as the supreme power. Um, and that will, that leads to, um, disillusion, uh, scandal, you know, like this can't be it. Like you're saying, people are leaving and, and they, and, and it's, it, it it becomes sickening, you know. Um, and meanwhile, the transformative gospel uh, of a new humanity is is just there. It's it's not it's not trying to get the political power. <laughs> it's not trying to move up the ladder somehow or other. It wants to. The point is, that I you, I all of anybody in this, but wants to communicate to other people. That's all we want to do. We just want to, We want to, We want to share with them this wonderful thing. I mean. Um, and I think that's what you were talking about the first two centuries, two, two, three centuries. You know, like it supposed that's all they did then. I mean, they ne- there was never any thought of taking over the Roman Empire. It was never any thought of like, how can we get to the summit of the Roman Empire? It was the Roman Emperor himself who said, I'll make use of Christianity. There was never any Christian who says, Let's let's devise a plan to get to the summit of power and and then have, have power in the world. Of course, once they got power, it's very corrupting. But it wasn't part of the agenda. The agenda was just, you know, to stick with that, this message, and yeah. uh, um, and I think that that it, that that kind of right wing Christianity is its own downfall. It's its own its own um, doom is written into what it's doing. I mean, it's yeah, and it's all but it seems like it's all but impossible
0: for those who, who are entrenched in it to see that, though. It is so it's it's blinding in, in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah, it um, is. and it's really you know once you sort of stepped out of the matrix. It's easy to see it for the lie that it is. You go, oh, how can you not see this? But I was in it for 20 something years and didn't see it either. So there's a level of compassion that I try to bring to this. that says, okay, people will see when they're ready. And for some for some folks, you know, and it, it was true for me. And I know, I think it's true for a lot of folks. It has to fail before you start to find fault with it. And as long as it seems to be, at least on some level working, yeah. then you can, you can justify staying inside that system. Right. Um, but once it starts to break down for you, you know, I think you're a little more free to ask some questions, but hopefully that's that. And that's, that's, that seems to me like the, the thesis of the whole thing is this, is this evolutionary process, right? This, this willingness of Christ to meet us where we are, this willingness of the gospel to meet us where we are, and then to transform us from that point forward, not to insist on, you know, you know, just immediate radical change, which I, I believe is possible as well. But I don't think that's the story for most people. I do think it's a it's a process for most. Would you agree with that?
2: Oh, absolutely. And I and I I just I just feel it happening. And I mean, I I know uh, we've been he, uh, here in the United States, as I say, from '93. We started our 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 uh, teaching and, and study group. Uh, it was initially called "Wood Has Hope," it was a quotation from uh, Job <laughs> chapter right. fourteen: "Wood even wood has hope." I hope the Jews destroyed my hope, you know, I like right. to play on that. Um, um, but right from then, um, you know, it's it's hard. It's it's a hard road to hoe to keep trying to explain this other way when the default setting is so strong and is so kind of self evident to people. That's what you know, Christianity means. It means substitutionary atonement, or you know, doing doing what the church tells you so you can get to heaven. Um, uh, it, it's, it's a hard road to hope, but, um, my instinct is always that this, the, the language that we're in, we're talking, we are using here, the conversation that we're engaged in is so much more interesting. Yeah, wow. for sure. It's so much more positive. It's yeah. so much more human. It's so, it had so much more pro- promise to it. You know, the other is, it's like sucking on old socks, really. <laughs> <laughs> and there it is, John, the title for the podcast.
0: Sucking, sucking on old on socks. socks. With Anthony Bartlett. <laughs> Look, I like it. But no, but you're right. You know, we just have this you know, we just had this conversation with a friend of ours too, another another writer, and um we have you know I don't know if you get this way too, you know, you almost get to the point where you're just burned out on theology, right? Yeah. Um, just you know, let let let's 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 start talking about things in more human terms. Uh, Let's talk about you know because for so long the church I don't think was interested. Matter of fact, I would say was disinterested in producing better people. It wanted to produce more pious people, right? We wanted to make sure that we had the correct. But 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 I I remember them. I remember pastors and people that were leaders in my denominations poo pooing the idea of oh well you're you know you think you're a good person. There's no such thing. The Bible says there's no such thing as a good person. And so the idea that somehow a, an interaction or an encounter with Jesus could actually make you a better human, yeah, right, wasn't even on the radar, right? But right. and then so so the reason that I say this is a process too is that I feel like as a culture, I think as a species, you know, we're addicted to violence. As a culture, it's baked into our DNA, right? And so this is why I'm talking to my friends and I'm saying things like, "Well, listen, we have to we have to treat this like like a heroin addict's, right? You don't you right. don't just you don't just yank it all away tomorrow and tell them to go cold turkey. You know, we have to, you know, th- there's going to be a process where this begins to be unraveled from some from very structural parts of us. And we, we have to start seeing things very, very differently.
2: And it's going to be, pro- be tough. And there'll be challenges along the way. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you use the figure of DNA, which, which everybody does, you know, in, in conversation, it's a common, it's a contemporary trope, it's, but it's highly relevant. Because yeah. DNA yeah. is a, is a code, you know, it just it tells the body or tells tells the cell what to do and, and what it's going to create, you know, what the DNA is going to produce. Is it going to be a cat, or a monkey, or whatever, a fish, a flower? It's it's a it's a it's um a physical semiotic code. So we've we've got this DNA <laughs> baked into us, as you say, but it's a destructive DNA. So you need you need an alternative code. Right. And, it, and it cannot that can only happen, you know, like like the like the mutations in the theory anyway happen one generation at a time, And like let's hope it's a little bit faster than that, you know, but but that, that it does take one mutation after another to suddenly you're in a position where you could be a different kind of creature you right. know, you, you you are you evolved in something else, but it is so this is not a biological thing. we're not talking biology, we're talking communication, we're talking revelation we 're talking a different way of seeing and understanding what it means to be human in the world, and that 's why the gospel has always been something that's, that's spoken about, preached written down, communicated it's always a matter of communication, and Jesus was always doing that you know with his stories his great stories so so that's the, that's the, the cultural DNA which has to be changed yeah and you're and right it, it 's almost like some of
0: these come along and just insert some new Let's take it like computer terms. Like, hey, just like like just email somebody the right virus. Yeah, right. Overwrite some of this code we've gotten. Yeah, really. And uh, because my my wife and I were weirdly enough, we were just in Kentucky last week for the Kentucky Derby, and and you 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 speak of communication, and I and I immediately think of these guys who were standing along the roadway as we were walking from our parking lot into Churchill Downs to watch this horse race, who were screaming at the top of their lungs that everybody walking on the path was going to hell. Oh really? the gospel, you know. Yeah, right. You know they were they were upset. I, I, how many? I lost track. My wife actually just walked in the room. There were like twenty of them, right? I mean, like like every street corner had some numbskull with a microphone and you know yelling about how you know going to the horse races was a sin and we were
2: idolizing horses somehow and and well, the, <laughs> the reason the reason, the, the reason for there being twenty is because somehow other, each of them know that their DNA. In that sense that we've been describing has been surpassed. Yeah, it's, it's, it's already dead DNA, <laughs> and they're just desperately clinging on to something, right? Some
0: some shred of relevance. Yeah, I think you're right. I do. I, I sensed a lot of defensiveness
1: in what yeah, they were it's doing. Right, yeah. It's
2: offensive, but it is. It, it yeah, defensive. I think you're right.
1: Yeah. Well, sadly, um, one of the reasons why this seems to be the norm is that we are. We all, you know. We, we as, me as a former evangelical or the evangel- evangelical fundamentals, they believe that yes, there will be a time when they will be transformed, right? Right. When they are in the, the sweet by and by. Yep. Forgetting, forgetting that Jesus says that we are to bring the kingdom here now. And, but, you know, they're, 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 they're willing to be hateful, murderers, you know, list the list goes on and on because uh, d- destroyers of the planet. Because right. at some point they're going to be in this heavenly realm and with a new body and a new it, and a new
0: Earth, John. We get a new one. So just
1: yeah, yeah. So just fuck this burn, one up,
0: this one down. Just like drive yeah. it like, just drive it like you stole it, Ricky Bobby. Get <laughs> 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 <You're right. laughs> right. into every other podcast, John. I will have at least one quote from Will Ferrell. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway hey um man so i'm I'm excited to read i i'm excited to read this i didn't i did not realize it was already available or i would have grabbed it you're obliged to read it now you've, you've had me no, I'm it. absolutely obliged and i and i will <laughs> um yeah you had me at gerard you've kept me through the whole thing i'm this is one of the for me anyway um it's, it's been one of the seminal Topics of discussion of the last five years for me is how do we how do we deal with this addiction that we have the violence and and what does the Bible tell us really about how to move past it and how to you know evolve into something that more resembles jesus and 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 honestly and and sort of again baked into that discussion is the discussion of how christianity's been hijacked for for other agendas how people have come along and you know it, it actually is it it's it's quite an amazing feat. To have transformed this this religion of peace, this faith tradition of, a, of of the one we call the Prince of Peace, and somehow turned it into a you know a, a violent world, right? almost cult like yeah. you know entity that just yeah it's it's crazy.
1: So but, we're to the point where Jesus could stand next to every other MCU character and continue to oh, battle, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, well, and we're to the point where I think Jesus could walk into most Western you know Protestant churches and not be recognizable. And maybe be ejected from the congregation. <laughs> so, oh, more than I, likely, yeah. I have to ask you to leave, sir. Um, you know, but anyway, I, I think your book and your work is important. Uh, if you guys have not um, had a chance, um, you know where to buy all the great books. We're not plugging, you know, the big ones here. Um, Anthony's got it in his hand right now. It's I'm sure it's available on your website, right, sir? Uh, yes, yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. If it's, I mean, we, again, if we all things, you know. If all else fails, we know where to get books. We just don't okay. like to say the word of, you know, that's we don't right, like yeah. Jeff Bezos to just get right more money. But, <laughs> <laughs> but definitely um, check it out. I'm sure uh, if you have social media. If you're on Facebook, I know you're on Facebook because we're friends on Facebook. Yep. And so there's, there's lots of ways to connect with Tony and, and read about some stuff that I think is really transformative and potentially um, can move us forward in the conversation. So that's always what we're looking to do is move, move the conversation forward, uh, yep. find some common ground. So we appreciate you, sir. Well, I've been privileged privileged to talk to you guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.